0: Um, Also, we have our NBC notes. If you don't have one, there is one in each guest packet, but if you don't have one, slip up your hands and uh, the ushers will get you one of our notes. Um, These are just some scriptures and blanks that you can fill in to kind of hang with me today as we walk through this last session of uh, the story. Today we're going to talk about the end times. We're going to talk about eschatology, uh, just a fancy word for the end times, okay? We're going to talk basically an overview. I have no way of getting into the entire book of Revelation in one week. (laughs) And so I'm going to try and hit the highlights for you and give you a sort of an idea of how things will shake out. Um, The book of Revelation is an interesting book if you've never read it. Um, Let me set it up by saying there's some interesting metaphors in this book, and if you want, if you want a logic, systematic unpacking of our faith and how it works and all of that, we've got the book of Romans, okay? So if you want, if you want to find out about that, go to the book of Romans and walk down what's called the Romans' Road. But if you want a sort of a multicolored painting that comes at you in HD, you've got the book of Revelation. It's fascinating, but what we have to remember is you can't press every detail and dissect every single image um, because it's tough to do that. I've seen people do that for years. I tried to do that when I was young in the Lord and in ministry. And you know, I tried to, uh, tried to do certain things. Now, I'm not talking about the overall picture of Revelation. I'm talking about every little nuance and every little detail. Because here's the deal. We don't want to miss the rainbow by counting the raindrops that fall in the book of Revelation. I remember back, some of you are too young for this. Um, in 1988, um, there was a pamphlet written by Edgar Wisnett, um 88 Reasons Why Jesus Was Coming Back in 1988. Come on, does anyone remember that? Is anyone around back then? Is it just me? Okay. All right, a few of you, yeah. And so I remember, I remember sort of thinking, you know, the, the church at large sort of kind of got excited about that, and we kind of thought, this guy's cracked the code you know and we're going we're going to be caught up we're going to be raptured on such and such a date in 1988 and i remember thinking that and so everyone was leaving out dog food for their dogs remember that you know because we were going up man we were going up and and uh <laughs> the next day we put the dog food away <laughs> <laughs> but it was just crazy stuff, you know, trying to, trying, to, trying to figure it all out. And, you know, you can figure some stuff out in Scripture, but there are some things that are left only to Him. Did you hear me? And so, and so that's what I want to encourage you to do. Some of the things that are clear in the book of Revelation, then you can, you can take that as, as fact. But some of it is, is sort of metaphoric. Some of it is allegory. Some of, it, some of it has deeper and greater meaning that we'll, f- we'll find out what it all meant in the end. Amen? And so the literary genre of the book of Revelations are an apocalypse, sort of a, a, a prophecy, epistle, or a letter. And the Apostle John, to give you a background, the, the Apostle John, who followed Jesus Christ and witnessed his crucifixion, authored it. So it's John who's the author… And John, the apostle, wrote Revelation, this book, the last book of your Bible, the last section of our story. He wrote the book of Revelation while a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos, somewhere around 85 to 95 A.D. Most scholars believe it was around 90 A.D. Its purpose, its purpose was to actually give encouragement and and hope for all Christians to continue watching for the return and the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it was all about. In case you're new to the faith, um, Jesus is coming back for His church. In case you haven't heard that, maybe you're new to the Scriptures and and you haven't really understood that, but Jesus is coming back for His church, and that's why we see um, the second coming and the great white right throne judgment in that last section um, in the book of Revelations or in our story. So it's, it's to remind us, it's to encourage us to watch for him. Amen? To wait for him, to be excited about him returning as he comes back for his church. But it also it also warns of the final judgment that non-believers will endure on the last day. So it's a book of encouragement. It's a book of hope. But it's also a book of warning. And we need to take heed. Why? Because John wrote that Revelation is special because in in Revelation 1-3 it said, blessed is he who reads, follow along with me now, blessed is he who reads, and those who hear these words of the prophecy And heeds the things. Everyone say heeds the things. And heeds the things which are written in it, for the time is near. How many of you believe time is near? Well, let me give you just a little bit of an overview of some of the chapters. In chapter, in chapters one through three, the first beginning portions of Revelation, John describes the details of the setting as he receives the revelation or the vision or the unveiling of the truth. And with this vision, he was instructed to write to the seven churches in those first three chapters about what he had seen. And Revelations chapter 1 verse 19 describes the basic outline, if you want to see the outline of Revelation 119 gives us the basic outline of the entire book that was written by John, the apostle. He says, therefore, write these things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. And this is the pattern that he follows. This is, John talks about what was, what is, and what was to come. And that's the sort of the outline of the book of Revelation. He describes in the beginning, those first three chapters, he describes the seven churches and their qualities and their weaknesses and their failings. You can see that in, you know, the church of Ephesus or the church of Laodicea and and we'll talk just a little bit more about this next week. Now, I'm not continuing the story. That's a whole new deal, just so you know, okay? It just happens to fall into the book of Revelation. But you can see that he talks about, he talks about their qualities, the things they had done well, and then he talks about these seven churches. He talks about some of their weaknesses and some of the things that could change and, and, and be strengthened. And so, I think there are some application to our modern-day church as well because these seven letters were written to the seven churches, and I think they're written to the churches of today as well. In chapters 4 through 20 now, we just covered chapters 1 through 3, in chapters one, or 4 through 20, we see that John depicts what he sees in his vision into the spirit realm, okay? before he's describing what he sees before him and the strengths and the weaknesses of the churches and so on and so forth. And now he starts to talk about and speculate about what he sees in the spirit realm. And it gets just a bit more complicated when you start to look at some of the things that he describes you know, trying to figure out what everything means and how it interacts with one another. And, and I did an essay, a syllabus on the entire book of Revelation back in the 80s and, and talked about all of these different things. Now, over the years, I've questioned whether that was accurate or not, <laughs> you know, because, you know, we know in part, we prophesy in part. Sometimes, Sometimes we see things later that make more sense or change the way we felt at a prior season. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay. And so it gets complicated as Paul describes Jesus Christ as the slain lamb who is the only one who's able to open the the seven seals or the seventh seal. And the seventh seal includes seven angels who each possess seven trumpets. Another series of daunting judgments occur. And after this, John receives um, visions of which include the Antichrist and Satan in the mark of the beast. And then it comes to a point where they are aware of their looming doom. Next, John describes seven more angels and that will carry seven bowls of plagues to be poured out on the earth. It turns out that God has this thing for seven. <laughs> If you read the book of Revelation, you'll see the book, the number seven is actually mentioned 54 times in one book, because seven in biblical numerology is the number of what? Completion. Completion. And, and it's a perfect number, God. It's God's number, just so you know. It's God's number. And And so it turns out that he has this thing for this number seven. But amazingly enough, things begin to unfold again and all hell breaks loose, literally. And amazingly, while hail is raining from heaven during the seventh plague, humankind does not repent. I mean, you'd think, you'd think when people see all this horrible stuff happen during these times that they would go, whoa, wait a minute here. God said stuff like this would happen, and it's happening, and they would repent. But the Bible says in 1621 that men instead blasphemed God because of the plagues of the hail and because its plague was extremely severe. Now, John goes on to describe that hell is eternal and it's the final resting place for all unbelievers. And in, in Revelation 19:20, 20, the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. And a thousand years later, after the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, in Revelation 20:10, the devil is also cast into the lake of fire. Now somewhere in there is what's referred to as the rapture of the church, okay, or the second coming. Check this out. First Thessalonians gives us a perspective on what that might look like. It's not in your notes. You didn't have enough room. But you can jot that down. First Thessalonians 4 says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, Paul said. The apostle Paul's writing this. Brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do like those who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him who, are him, those who have fallen asleep with him. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, that's us, who are left until the coming of the Lord Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now here's where it gets good. For the Lord himself, everyone say himself. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, or with the shout, okay, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're going we're to be with the Lord forever, amen? If you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, we're gonna be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, of course, we know there's a, there's a tribulation in the midst of this and there's much speculation on when the church will be taken up. Will it be, you know, there's three different main views on the topic relative to the, to the, to the tribulation, the seven years of tribulation that will go on in the earth. There's, there's first the, the pre-trib perspective, um, then there's the mid-trib perspective. Then there's the post-trib perspective. That means that somehow we're going to, pre-trib is your, the, the rapture takes place before the tribulation begins, or mid-trib is partway through, halfway through. Post-trib is after that, okay? And so, so, there's all sorts of ideas and perspectives, and, and you know, I've been a pre-trib guy, you know, pretty much my whole life, but I've seen all sorts of other data that would suggest otherwise, so I want to introduce to you a fourth option that might help all of us sort of settle something. It's called pan-trib, okay? pan and that simply means it'll all pan out in the, in, in the end, okay? So, <laughs> I'm not going to die on that hill. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I just know I'm going to be with the Lord forever, Amen? So pan-trib, it'll all pan out in the end. <laughs> all right. So, see, my philosophy is to to just live like he's coming today, but plan like he's not coming for a while. I I know, like years ago, some of the old timers when Vicky and I first came to Christ, 1996, 96, 76. I'm sorry. Yeah. He'd been pastoring for 20 years unsaved. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so I remember in 1976, you know, the old timers, they just, they just didn't even give any consideration for today and no savings, no retirement, no nothing. It was because Jesus has come back tomorrow, man. So they didn't plan for anything. And then, then when he didn't, you know, they were kind of left, you know, with not a whole lot to, you know, work with in the end. Okay. They're, there's later, later years, latter years. And so live like he's coming back today, but plan your life like he's not coming back for a while. How many of you understand that's a good, good advice? All right, so let's just, you know, walk through a couple of main points here in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, in that book, there are two different types of judgments mentioned, okay? And this is important for you to know. First, there's the great white throne judgment. And second is the judgment seat of Christ. Two judgments. Two very different judgments. First of all, the great white throne judgment, just so you know what that is, this is where all the people who ever lived that are unsaved or have never surrendered their life to the Lord whether they were good or bad, their good deeds outweighed their bad deeds, in their earthly lives, they stand before the great white throne judgment. That's their judgment, okay, for the unbeliever. And here's what Revelation chapter 20 tells us about that judgment. Revelation 20, 11, I think it's in your notes. It says, then I saw a great, what? White White throne and him who's seated on it. And the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Everyone say the book of life. Folks, this is important. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up their dead that were in it. And the death, and death, and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. Folks, this is not a judgment you want to be at. And this is not a judgment anyone needs to be at or has to be at. God made a way for you and I to stand before a different judgment And that's the judgment seat of Christ. See, the judgment seat of Christ is an entirely different judgment in which the saved, the born-again believers, those who have lived their life for Christ, you know, are are judged by the Lord and receive the rewards that are due unto them. It's a rewarding judgment. All the things that were, 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 you know, ungodly and stuff is burnt away and the things that are holy and righteous and the things that you've done with your life, um, you've received the rewards that, that God said you would receive. Check this out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. I don't think that's in your notes. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the good things while in the body, whether good or bad. Folks, that's the judgment you want to be at. Come on, amen? I mean, no, that's the judgment you want to, you want to be, the judgment seat of Christ. That's for the believers. And then finally, as we sort of cap off the overview, finally in chapters 21 and 22, John writes the last of the canon of Scripture. Here he describes the new heaven, and the new earth, and this new city called the New Jerusalem, where there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more mourning or death, because the first things have passed away, the old things are passed away. And only those who are written, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life can enter this place of eternity with Jesus Christ as he sits on his throne. Revelation 22, verse 12 says, "'Behold, I am coming quickly, "'and my reward is with me, "'to render to every man according to what he has done. "'I am the Alpha and the Omega, "'the first and the last, the beginning and the end.'" That kind of gives you an overview of the book of Revelation. Now, we understand the Bible best when we know how the Bible was first understood. So think about this for a moment, a little history. The first hearers of the readers of the book of Revelations were persecuted Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor. They were being persecuted. They were the seven pillars, seven pillar churches, and they are under attack. As a matter of fact, Christians are in dungeons during this time when he writes this. Christians are in dungeons. They're cast before wild beasts. They're beheaded. They've been banished, and all seems lost. It's bleak. The devil seems to be winning and consuming the church, and the dragon of Rome seems to be spewing vile. The beast that comes out, mentioned in Scripture, out of the abyss, seems to be victorious He seems to have the upper hand. He seems like it's all going to go his way and he's going to win the battle. He's going to win the victory. But, everyone say but, but as in many parts of the lower story or the Bible or in our life, things are not what they seem. You see, there's a secondary perspective If you could pull up, pull behind the veil and look into the spirit realm, into the upper story, you would see that things aren't the same as you can see here on earth. (laughs) Things are not what they seem. And the whole Bible leads to this picture in Revelation. The whole Bible The seed that was planted in Genesis reaches full bloom in the book of Revelation. The beginning and the end. God starts something and He finishes it in the book of Revelation. And guess what? We're a part of that. We're a part of that. We're a part of that history. We're a part of God's story, God's character. We're a character in God's story. What began in the first pages of the Bible are accomplished in the last pages of the Bible. Check this out, the first and the last, it's in your notes. See, Genesis tells us God created the heavens and the earth, and Revelation describes a new heaven and a new earth. Notice the parallels. Genesis tells of the creation of the sun, moon, and stars. Revelation tells us that there will be no need for the sun because God will be the light. That's pretty cool, huh? The lost paradise of Genesis is found in the paradise of Revelation. Satan appears in the first garden, but, come on, Satan's banished from the second, from the eternal garden. The tree that we couldn't touch in the Garden of Eden, we're invited to eat from in the Garden of Heaven. The tree of life. Amen? The tree of life. See, that tree was meant for man to live forever. But in its fallen state, when Adam and Eve decided to go against God's vision, they could not partake of that because they, God did not want them to live forever in their sin and separation from God. In Genesis, man hides from God. Remember, I was naked. I was naked, so I was ashamed. Right? I was naked. He was. He hides from God, but in Revelation, God dwells with him. Dwells with him. We will be able to walk in the cool of the day with him, just just like it was before the fall. There'll be a, a new city and a new garden in the center of the city where God will dwell once again. The only question that we have today is will you be there will you that's the big question of the day is will you be there will you be there god wins in the end how many of you know i've read the back of the book and we win god wins that means we win that's why we can say that because you read Revelation chapter 20 through the end of the book, you'll see we win. Check this out. I want to read this, this text, and then we'll finish up in a few minutes. It says, in Revelation 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, putting it all together. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, there'll be more, more, no more death and mourning or crying or pain, for the, older, for the old order of things have passed away. He who is seated on the throne, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are... Two, two, two important points here trustworthy and true. There's two things you need to remember God's word is trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is what? God. Done or finished. I am. He's the I am. <laughs> he's the Alpha and He's the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this and I will be their God and they will be my children. Wow. You you can't get excited about that. I'm not sure there's breath in you. Now there's three primary messages. We're almost done. From the book of Revelation. (laughs) Revelation. Sort of summing it all up. But first of all, this the message of Revelation. In the message, in the message of Revelation, is that Christ always conquers. Always remember that He always conquers. There's a lot of problems that exist, but He always or He always prevails. Nothing can destroy God's plan. Did you hear me? Nothing. The devil's best shot will fail. Hit me with your best shot it will fail. As I said, we are assured in the end God wins. Second, the message of Revelation gives us a glimpse of heaven. You can see later in the text, you'll you'll see that there are streets of gold. God's not in any kind of recession, I promise you. There's all sorts of wonderful things there. I wish I had time to describe it all. Gives us a glimpse of heaven, Revelation 4, verse 1 and 2. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard, or excuse me, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in Where? heaven with someone sitting on it. Folks, the center of the universe is heaven. The center of the universe. And the center of heaven is there is a throne. And on that throne is the triumphant God. Amen? And here's another thing that you can read. If you jot this down, Revelation 4, 6 through 11 describes to us, The center of the universe is full of worship. That's how important it is to God, worship. That's why don't come late to our time of worship as we honor Him with our voices together in unison. That's an important time. Why? Because the center of the universe, the heavens, are full of worship. And we're entering into that choir, that great choir, when we come and worship like Melissa and Tim led us today. We were a part of that great choir in heaven, worshiping the lamb that was slain. Third, the message of Revelation shows us that God will make all things new. All things new. God creates new heavens and a new earth for his redeemed people. The only question, like I said before, is will you be there? It's your choice. God won't make you be there. Will you be there? He makes all things new. There's a new year. There's a new you. Amen? God, His mercies are new every morning. There's, God is full of newness. Just so you know, He doesn't lock you into your old patterns or who you were. He frees you to be who you can be with your free potential and full potential. God sees you as new. Amen? And that's why the new year is such a wonderful time just to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to do a fresh new work on the inside of each of us, for us to become more passionate and in love with Him and to let some of the things that have crept in and the distractions that have come in and some of the things that have caught us off guard and and caused us to be sort of a lukewarm Christian. We'll talk about that next week. To leave and depart and for us to be hot and on fire for Christ. Amen? Now, I want to remind you that eternity is a long time. We're going to live with Him, what, forever and ever and ever just as a, a quick illustration, um, I wanted to show you this. I've shown it before, but I wanted to show you this again. You know, we put so much stock on the here and now and today and, you know, what we're doing and where we're going to go to lunch and, you know, are we going to take the dogs for a walk later or not? Or, you know, it's everything so consumed with right now, today, and we give little thought, very little thought to what will happen when this is over. And it's going to be over for all of us. Every single one of us, whether we die and stand before the Lord or whether we're caught up with Him, it's going to be over. And so, I want to challenge us. See, we we start out in life, you know, this pink represents life. You know, we're born, of course, and you know, we go to school and we graduate from high school and maybe we go on to college and then we find that hunk or that babe, you know, and we get married and we settle down and we have some kids and, you know, we have that, that proverbial dream of, you know, a house and a white picket fence or, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like to you and we, we get what we want or we strive towards what we want we work hard and, you know, we get a little bit older. Vicki and I are getting a little bit older, at least I am, okay? And things change in your bodies and whatever, you know. And, you know, you sort of drift off into a different season of life because life is full of seasons. And then, then all of a sudden it's over. It's over. And eternity starts. Did you hear me? Eternity starts. And so this white part part of the rope represents eternity. See, that pink represents your life here on earth. And for some, for some, it's shorter. For some, it's real short. For some, it may be a little longer. But somewhere in here is a lifespan for all of us. And then eternity starts. And and then we have to stand before the Lord and give an account for what we did with all of the things He placed in our life, our gifts, our talents, our treasures. What did we do with our resources? How did we live for Him? How did, how, how did we allow Him to use us in this short season of life of 70, 80, 90 years? Because eternity will play out to be a pretty long time. And it goes on and 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 on. Eternity Everyone say eternity is a long time, and it just keeps going on and 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 on. I mean, you know eternity is a long time. right? Right? And it keeps going on and 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 on. How many of you know eternity is a long time? See, we put so much stock in our 60, 70, 80, 90 years that we don't realize that we have eternity to live with Him. Amen? So, can I encourage you? Can I encourage you? today to take this life seriously? Will you be there? Can I encourage you to perhaps set aside some of the things that are distracting you and as Hebrews talks about the things, the sin that so, so easily besets us and let us run our race with endurance that God has marked out for us? Can I encourage us to do that? Let's stand to our feet. Today is an important day. It's the first Sunday of the new year. We've been talking about newness, newness.